Hey man. Hey Carlos, how are you doing? I'm doing alright. Yeah. Just came out of a, another meeting, or just a, a work meeting, because I have a, I have like a little part, remote part-time job with uh, the University of Chicago. So we just had nice. like a little work meeting. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I actually just came back from the Bay Area yesterday. Oh wow! Okay. I was uh, there from Friday to, well, actually no, not Friday, Saturday to Monday. Okay. And then what are you um, doing up there? Well, my partner and I, uh, well, because we had a couple days off, and uh, we just stayed at her friend's house in Berkeley, and uh, we, yeah, and I had some downtime, so I got to meet up with Daniel, so that was kind of nice. Nice, nice. We haven't seen each other in person in years, even though like <laughs> we're still meeting online and recording these podcasts. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, and, how's he doing? Yeah, he's doing pretty well. I think uh, just you know, talking about school and home life. So yeah, and um, I also got to see Andrew too. Okay. Because Andrew Andrew Bukovitz? Yeah, he lives all the way out in uh, Vacaville, so. Okay. I just kind of drove out there. I was like, oh, it's only one hour away. To me, yeah. that's kind of like trying to meet up somebody in LA. <laughs> so, it didn't seem like a big deal to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like if I wanted to meet up with someone in Santa Monica, that's how long it would take. You're right. Right. <laughs> but it's interesting. Back of it was uh it was the first time I was there. It's it's like any other suburbs, but it has a lot of fields and of course cows. I see. And uh, yeah, I've never, I've never been out there, so I don't, I don't really know what it's like. I've passed through because I've, I've driven definitely from Berkeley to Sacramento, so I think I've passed by it. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't realize how close Davis was too, because it was kind of on the way, and then it says, "Oh, Davis is only like a couple more miles." I'm like, "Wow, I didn't, I didn't realize how close Davis was." I just imagined Davis to be really far You're, away. Yeah, you were like halfway to Sacramento or maybe even more than halfway to Sacramento. Yeah. Cause Sacramento's pretty it's not that far either, I think. I, I, I don't remember. It's definitely less than three hours and I think it might even just be two, but I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's I guess those kind of cities is I I don't think most people would know about it unless you know somebody that lives there. Right. We have a family member. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've, I don't know anything about vodka feel except, you know, just from meeting Terry and I guess Andrew Bukovic. Why, why is, I forget, why did Andrew move out there? Because uh, Laura, he's not. Laura's from uh, Vacaville. Her family is in that city too. I see. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Laura's from there. And did Laura know Terry? Uh, you know, I don't know if they, knew each other but they went to the same high school i believe okay i don't think they yeah. were in the same grade i see and it, i'm sure it's like a really big high school so all right know, the chances of running into each other's could be pretty low right okay yeah yeah well, that's cool yeah you got around you did you, you went to a lot of places you went to berkeley and then drove out to vacaville did you go anywhere else or or no that was kind of it on the way back uh we stopped by uh like emeryville kind of near oakland 
Okay, yeah. We just parked by the IKEA and because uh, this was Daniel's recommendation, where you could just walk to the Bay. Uh, I think it's called the Bayview Bridge, and you could just walk from IKEA to the bridge on foot, and you get to kind of see the view. Uh, we didn't go all okay. the way to like one of the islands that was there. Yeah, like, I think it was like Yerba Buena or something like that. And but yeah, it's quite a hike. I I didn't expect to like be sweaty and have like calluses on my foot. <laughs> I don't think I was prepared <laughs> to go on a hike. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the bay because it's so rugged. So it's a lot of it's a lot of hills and yeah. I don't know. It, it's definitely a hike going anywhere. Where when uh, when I was growing up. There was a saying that um, women in San Francisco had the best legs because anywhere they would walk, they would walk uphill or downhill, and so it's like a workout. It's like a workout for your legs everywhere you're going because everything's well, so hilly. Why does it only apply to women? Okay, I mean, well, that because you know, uh, <laughs> back when I was a kid, society was a little bit more gendered. So uh, I, I mean, I'm sure. I'm it sure it applies to men too, but like <laughs> guys are just paying attention to the women's legs. I so, see. Well, heterosexual guys, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess girls don't pay attention to the guys' legs as much. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. I wonder. I wonder. Yeah. I, but yeah, yeah that's what people say. I, the times I've been to the Bay Area, we haven't been like really inclined to go to San Francisco. And I feel like maybe mm -hmm. one of these days we should. Because I just kind of imagine San Francisco as like the, the city and the traffic and parking might seem horrible. Um, yeah, I mean, park parking is already bad even in other parts of the Bay. So I would say I would agree. Yeah, it's kind of it's probably even worse in San Francisco. The times that I've been, um, I've I've definitely driven there at night and found parking, but it takes a while. And at night, I can't imagine what it's like in the day. But uh, that's also why you have the BART. Like if you find a place to park, uh, like in the East Bay or South Bay, you could just take the BART and then the, into San Francisco and check it out. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if San Francisco is like much is like that much more interesting than the east bay i think the east bay is really interesting and like there's a lot of cool stuff to see um you should have told me that you were going i could have told you i could have told you about some places to check out too like um i went to there's this place uh you can go up to the hills there's a lot of hiking in the hills right and there's this one spot you can still you could just drive to it it's not even a hike but it's a spot called grizzly peak Oh yeah, that's. Man, I think we we were oh, in that area, like the. Tundra. Oh, you were in that area. Yeah. I think so, that area has the best view of the Bay yeah. Area. We, yeah, we we got yeah. to hike some of the trails there. There was like a little animal farm, uh, like they call it the little farm with all mm -hmm. these animals. Okay. Okay. And uh, we were trying to look for this lake, but like I think it was called Jewel Lake. But we were walking mm -hmm. around it and we we see it on the map, but I don't see it in person. So we just went back. <laughs> I wonder if it's like an old lake that they kind of um, they drained or something. Maybe that maybe that happens. Yeah, there was another lake called the Anza Lake in the same area, and we got there and um, it didn't look like a lake. It looked more like a swamp and marsh because all the there were all these like grass and plants growing on top of the the lake. Hmm. I, think it, I don't know why it, the water was not 
moving. So I don't think it was water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, That's cool. Yeah, it's it, it was only for three days and like half yeah. of the time it was raining anyway. So oh wow, yeah. Yeah. We were lucky we were we went on the hike before it started to rain. Right. Okay, cool, man. Then what's your situation with the, the job in China so far? So um yeah, my I canceled my flight because uh uh, yeah, I don't know if I gave you the updates uh, on the trip. Um, I was getting ready to, to go to Seattle because I hadn't heard from the consulate in like a, a week and a half. Um, I, I submitted my, uh, my documents to prove that I'd taken like these COVID tests at the facilities they wanted me to take them at. And I had negative results and all of this. And um, I submitted them to the – well, I, I emailed them to the consulate, the health office at the consulate in San Francisco. And they uh, didn't get back to me until like a week and a half later. In that email, they responded me – they responded to me with um, – they said I had to quarantine – from that day forward for six weeks, which means I couldn't I couldn't take the plane that I was already scheduled to take, like within within the next two weeks from that period. So I just had to cancel my flight, and now I'm me and my girlfriend. We kind of did a, a a trip to Oregon basically because she'd rented a car and we wanted to use it, so we used it. And um, I don't know, I just came back, you know. So. Um, I had to. I emailed the consulate again, asking them, "Can I get an, a, a visa extension? Because my visa's validity expired on the 20th. Um, you know, I couldn't get on the plane during that time, so it wasn't like it wasn't of any. It ended up not being of any value. So I asked them, "Could it could, could be extended to a period past this quarantine period that I'm supposed to do?" And uh, they took a long time to get back to me. I want to say like three weeks. Yeah, so because the, they're really, really slow. And um, they basically told me to like resubmit some stuff. I sent them. They so they never and they never gave me a clear answer on stuff. They told me to resubmit some things. So I emailed them back these documents that I used for my previous application. And I asked them, like, some of these are old, but are they would are they still good for whatever you're asking for now, right? Because I asked for a validity extension. They didn't. You didn't give me a clear answer. You just told me to submit some documents again. So I still don't know what's going on. Yeah. So now I'm just waiting for them to get back to me to say, hey, these documents are old. You should resubmit something. I don't know. Like they, they never. They're always really unclear, and it, I think it's a language barrier thing because I've talked to them on the phone. There was there was a long period of time that I wasn't able to talk to them on the phone because no one would give me a phone number. Finally, I got a phone number, and then I found out. Oh, like their English isn't that good, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm just waiting. Still, I'm waiting to see uh, if I can get a a, valid, a visa extension or if I can reapply or something, I don't know. Um, 
So I'm just uh, I'm just waiting. And in the meantime, I'm applying for other jobs because uh, you know this is a this isn't like as reliable as this isn't. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of figured that this isn't a reliable um, prospect really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have a, I have like a little part-time job now that I've had since February and that's kind of giving me a little bit of income, but yeah, that's kind of the situation basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think trying to look for another job in the meantime, that might probably be the best option. Yeah. Especially if it's a jobs in another country and you're not even sure if mm -hmm. you're guaranteed about it. I think that's, <laughs> I, I'll probably just try to look for something else in the meantime yeah yeah what sucks is that um you know like all the stuff that i can apply for it doesn't start until like august anyway so I see. yeah so i can apply for i haven't been applying for stuff but everything you know starts so late so um and then the stuff that would be earlier like i don't know i'm either not qualified for or um yeah i don't know it just yeah, like that's how I mean you know this. That's how jobs in academia are. Like you you apply for a job that you know, and the job starts at the beginning of the academic year, and you know that that's kind of the schedule for it. You know, there's a there's a only a handful of job types where you start like within a week of interviewing and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, Whereas for like industry jobs or jobs where you work for like I guess a company or something, um, yeah I don't know I've I've I haven't I haven't had a lot of luck landing anything in that area, so yeah. But we'll see. Yeah, I'm just I'm just applying for a bunch of stuff and seeing what I can get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you'll find something along the line. <laughs> I mean, you were able to get the UC Berkeley job. Yeah, yeah. So that that was cool. I, I liked it up there. And the, the interview process was very interesting. It was just one guy, and he just asked me some questions uh, that he, like, prepared me for um, by sending me, like, a list of the questions beforehand, and I just had to have a response. And it was really, like, super relaxed. And Yeah, and then I got that job. It didn't pay that well, but... You know, they kind of accommodated me a lot by giving me a little bit more work. Yeah, so that was, yeah. I miss I miss working there. It was it was really cool. I miss living in the East Bay. Yeah, the East, like living in the East Bay was kind of like, um, it was me like kind of discovering the place that I always, I, I was always looking for in a place to live, like some place where there was just a lot of smart people and it was like culturally interesting and there'd be like lots of bookstores and lots of like, like, um, like value in education. And I don't know, it'd still be like culturally diverse and, and, and stuff like that. Like, uh, there wasn't, there was never a place I found that quite had all of those qualities um all the qualities i looked for in like a place that I, I i could see myself like really enjoying living in and it wasn't until then that i found out that was kind of that place that it was like the east bay that was really like that so if i could move back i wouldn't move back in a heartbeat it's just unfortunately pretty expensive and 
You know, I lucked out by having a family friend there who already has a house in Oakland and like he gave me a really good deal on rent. So that was that was really cool of him. I appreciate him for that. And uh, but but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I yeah, I missed that spot. So I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe I'll have another opportunity to live there in the future, but we'll see. Well, I guess the the things you're describing about the the Bay Area of you know like the bookstores and kind of mm -hmm. like the intellectual discussion that you didn't seem like you had that in Chicago. Um, in Chicago, uh, it it not so maybe it's it's funny because uh, I would say there there is definitely certain neighborhoods where I had that. Uh, there are certain neighborhoods where you could get that, like the neighborhood that I lived in where the university was actually located, which is Hyde Park. It was definitely like that. There was a, there was a lot of bookstores there, but it was also like a very small area. And um, the thing about Chicago is that it's like really big. It's a really big metro area, right? It's the third largest city in the U.S., it's part of a huge metro area and um and uh, it takes a while to get from one place to another place uh the city is very racially segregated uh there's a lot of crime and i th well the the segregation makes it so that it's kind of hard to meet people honestly like uh so i i think i mentioned this to you right like i've talked to people who like been who who've gone between Chicago and New York and they would tell me like about the biggest difference between those areas. And, uh, they would tell me like, uh, very often if when you, very often when you talk to someone about the difference between Chicago and New York, someone who's lived in New York and moved to Chicago or lived in Chicago and moved to New York, the biggest difference is like the, the degree of racial segregation and like how oft how common it is for people to, uh, like just kind of stick to, people of their race um i met a i met a uh i don't i think i told you this story i've told this story to a couple of people i've met like on the plane going from new york to chicago i met a uh an african uh minister or she was some kind of like a missionary actually or some type of like church like church woman i forget uh, she moved from New York. She was like Nigerian American or something. She moved from New York to Chicago. And she told me that like in moving to Chicago, what she noticed was that there was more pressure of her to like hang out with black people. Right. There's just, you know, that was something she had to get used to. She wasn't used to that in New York, New York, everyone hung out with each other, but Chicago, black people kind of stuck to themselves. Uh, I met a Mexican guy in Chicago who visited New York once and he told me uh, when he visited New York, he found it shocking that like when he went to a bar, he didn't have to think about being Mexican. He didn't have to go to it. He didn't have to think about like, Oh, is this a Mexican bar, white bar or whatever? Like he, had, he didn't have to think about that. Right. Um, yeah. And like, you know, I've met Chicagoans who told me that like, Oh, New York, there's more mixed people. So, it's yeah the degree of segregation in Chicago I think it keeps people from like meeting each other right and like relating to each other there's there's some kind of weird social dynamic of people keeping to themselves 
So even if there are a lot of resources for like education or like learning and you know kind of talking to people, uh, people don't people there, there there's also a social force that keeps people from interacting with each other as often as they could. So yeah, and it it makes you feel more isolated. Honestly, like I definitely felt very isolated in Chicago. Like I couldn't meet people. Like I would like seven years after seven years of living there i would talk to people who visited and they tell me like oh did you go to this place or that place and i say no i didn't actually like i didn't even know about that place like i didn't know people hung out there or anything because there were places i couldn't go like so i didn't know where i could go what i could visit what things there were to see. I mean, that's that's also a function of like just Chicago being big and you can't see everything in a lifetime, right? But no, there's a lot of, yeah, there's just a, it's a, I think it's, there, there, yeah, there's just a social force at work in the city that keeps people from like meeting other people and like talking to them and getting to know them. Yeah. Like people yeah. keep to themselves a lot. I, I do wonder if that, that kind of dynamic is different when there's a, a difference in class like you know for example like a middle class or upper class black person in chicago i don't know if they would feel that same kind of pressure compared to like someone from a working class uh you know a black neighborhood um so Chicago sort of historically been a like very pro working class city, uh, but that's been changing. According to like locals, that's been changing a lot. Before it was like very pro union. If you were like a plumber, yeah, or a construction worker, you did very good in Chicago relative to like people of your of your trade in other cities. Yeah, like it, because the the unions helped you out a lot, uh, so it was really good for that. Um, but, uh, I, I don't think that's related. I think it, I think it's more of a, I think it's more of a, uh, cultural thing. Well, it could have to do with, um, there's, there, I think it's complex. I think there's a lot of stuff going on. One thing is the gang culture. I think that's the biggest thing, just the gang, the level of gang culture there is in the city. So Chicago is uh, smaller than L.A. It's almost half the size of L.A. now because L.A. has been growing and Chicago has been shrinking. L.A. is like, what, 4 million people now. Chicago is like 2.9 going to 2.7. Like it's shrinking, right? But Chicago has more gang enrollment than L.A despite that like it has a way higher proportion of people in gangs than la has right and gang culture is just really strong uh when people go you know and when people are in gangs they go in and out of prison when they're in prison they realign themselves according to racial groups right i don't know how that works i don't know why that happens but um it happens and uh i think just the cult, like, when you have that, like, they, when, you know, they go into prison, they learn, they, they realign themselves into racial groups, then they go back out into the city. And I think just because there's so many gang members, the prison culture 
just kind of it kind I guess it becomes expressed in the general just in the in just the city in the into the city culture it becomes a, expressed into the city culture as if like you know you were still in prison or something and I think that that type of uh I think that aspect of prison culture kind of gets transferred out there therefore into the city so I think it has I think a lot of it has to do with like like that it has to do with prison culture uh so many people going in and out of prison so that the prison culture and like the racial components of prison culture uh cut like I don't know they become expressed in like uh the general city culture right I I I hope that makes sense. I think that's the biggest thing. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I, I think that, but that's only particular in certain parts of the city, though. I, I feel like because you're not gonna have like a higher gang population in like a a white middle class neighborhood. Um. Uh, well. But I mean, I, I get what you're saying, though. The thing the thing is that uh the white middle class neighborhood is 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 actually a small part of the city because um yeah it's a it's a small part of the city because they all cluster together into like the places where you have all the high rises and stuff yeah if you look at if you look at a racial map of of chicago there's actually not that much of the city that's that's in terms of area that's white there's a lot of white people right that's there's, there's there are a lot of white people but they tend to live in the very uh what do you call the the very densely populated parts of the city right where you have the skyscrapers and stuff like that oh, and it like, ends up being like yeah. yeah it ends up being a like a smaller part of the city than you than you would think uh where everybody else lives like you know where blacks and mexicans live that's a huge part of the city yeah that is a huge part, like saying. the south yeah. The south side is like half of the city almost. Like it's like 40% of the city area. But that doesn't mean that there's a huge black population because the south side is also sparsely populated. There's just a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of abandoned buildings. Uh, there's a lot of undeveloped land, right? So, yeah, there's just... Uh, but I guess that's that's the culture that kind of persists there, basically. Like so, so the culture, like whatever, you know, whatever. Uh, how would you say this? The culture of the South Side and the West Side, right? They are going to pervade throughout a huge part of the city, just because those are those are big parts of the city. Yeah. So that's that's why I think you know like gang culture really is like it's a big it's it's a big part of this of the city. I mean historically, like historically, it's been gang culture has been a big thing in Chicago. Like like since the 1800s, I think uh, they celebrate it there. Like Al Capone. Like if you go to if you go to like a like a Chicago gift store, or souvenir shop, it's all Al Capone stuff. Um, and uh, you know, they, there's a big respect really for gang culture there, which I think, uh, which I think is detrimental to like, I don't know, like the way, like a better way, it, like it, it's detrimental to the society because I think, uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think that's complex too, but 
Okay, I'll just say the prison culture. I think I think there's a prison there's a prison culture component to the city that is at work that kind of keeps people from associating with each other. And there's like too much of a respect for that, I think. Um, but again, like I think that's what I think is a big factor. But there's I think there's a lots of other things too. I think cuz you get racial segregation and other like big racial segregation in other cities in that area too, like Milwaukee. Milwaukee's supposed to be worse in terms of uh, racial segregation. I hear Boston's really bad. Uh, there was this time I went to Boston. I visited Boston, and uh, for a, you know to do a presentation at a school, and I was staying at a hostel. I ended up meeting a local there. His this guy, he was like he identified as half black, half white. Um. And his, uh, forget his, his name was Les. He had an interesting name. Uh, and uh, we kind of started hanging out because we were playing pool at this hostel, you know. And then he asked me if I wanted to go to some bars. And we went, we decided to go out and do some bar hopping. And he was a local guy, so he kind of knew what some, you know, what was around the city, a little bit of what was around the city. Not completely, though, because he hadn't been everywhere in the city himself. And the first bar we, we, we passed by ended up being uh, an Irish bar. And I asked him, oh, you know, you want to just go to this one? It's right here, you know, whatever. And he told me, oh, no, we can't we can't go in there because, um, you know, that's an Irish bar and they don't like me. So we had to pass that one and go someplace else. There's a there's just a and that just made me upset. Like like every time I encountered that, something like that. It just made me upset. That's part of a big. That's a big reason why I didn't like Chicago. Like living in Chicago, Chicago is just like, just too much racial segregation. Uh, and then in Boston, I, I found it again, and it just pissed me off. It was just like me running into it all over this sort of north, northeastern corridor of the U.S. So I think there. You know, like I said, it's a gang thing in Chicago, but I mean, there's other things too. And like it gets expressed in Boston, it gets expressed in Milwaukee. Uh, it's, it's just all over that part of, of the, of the country. And, um, I think, I think it's, it's, it's partly gang culture, but it, it's also, it must be other things too. I think it's also, it also, I think it, I also think it has to do with, uh, recent European immigrants. And maybe their attitudes on race, which might be based on like older concepts that have been retained in Europe, but have been lost in the U.S., right? I think, it, yeah, so I think it has to do with that, like recent European immigration or just recent immigration. Um, I think it uh, it might have to do even with like maybe just the culture of, of the Northeast, something about something about the northeastern culture and its history there i don't know so I, I i think it's complex i think there's a big dynamic contributing to what i was experiencing and i could name a couple of things that um i can attribute it to but i don't think it's just that one thing i think it could be a bunch of things and i think it's it's there's other things that i'm not recognizing yeah and i'm still learning more about you know, what I was experiencing, basically, yeah. I mean, that's kind of interesting to hear because, you know, if you were to take any American history textbook, they'll say, like, oh, segregation was legally ended 
like in this, you know, sixties, but yeah. it's still happening in, in a way that's where there's no laws saying that, you know, you can't like, you know, mix or, <laughs> or like get together with different races, but like people are still doing that in a way, in their own ways, um, whether it's at a bar. Um, I even heard like, this was back in 2000, early 2000s, somewhere in the South, it could have been Georgia or Alabama or Mississippi. They've had their first official like interracial prom where the black students and the white students were finally able to go together. Like, because mm -hmm. they would often have like separate prompts for, you know, the white students and the black students. And this was going on until the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The key, so the key word that you used there was legal, end of legal segregation, right? Yeah. Yeah. The 60s ended, that was the end of legal segregation. But I think legal segregation, a hundred years of legal segregation created, you know, a culture that took segregation for granted. And uh, you still see the remnants of that in the eastern part of the country. Um I well, mean, you probably I, I, see I actually, little... I, I see it in LA too, even though it's yeah, yeah. considered like very diverse. Like I think everywhere has segregation. You can't. Yeah, yeah, everywhere has segregation. You you do see it in the West Coast too, but I think like I just never, I've never been, I've never been around California and had had people tell me like, oh, we can't we can't go to this bar because this is like an Irish bar. This is a black bar. Like I, I've, I've never really had that experience where people of people like telling you that, right. That's not, I don't, I don't even think people in LA like tell each other that like, like, I, Oh, we well, can't go to this bar. Cause that, that I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I mean, I, I've heard of those stories too. Cause I, really? I, I remember I have a friend, uh, he's from Mexico and he's, you know, he's been here for a while. And I think he started going to this like restaurant in Monterey Park, which is predominantly Chinese. And, you know, most people, the, the restaurant people there didn't really know how to uh, speak English that well, but he really liked the food. Mm. And he brought his friends, you know, who are mostly Latino to the restaurant. Yeah. And most, all, all his friends are like, uh, are we allowed to be here? You know, like they felt like really <laughs> awkward to be there, but there wasn't any like he didn't at least he didn't uh, say anything anything about like intense like hostility from like mm -hmm. you know the restaurant owners or anything but i think it's just this uh culture shock or the shift in uh like the feeling you know the feeling you get like well, am i allowed to be here just because i don't speak the language this is not the type of food i normally right. eat this is not the place i normally hang out at even though like east la and monterey park are literally like right next to each other yeah but that's so that i would say that's different because that's a uh... At there, the diff a, one big difference between that situation and what I'm talking about is that there's a language barrier, right? Like there's, you know, they're confused about whether they should be there because they're not hearing any English at all, right? What I'm talking about is like everybody speaks English, right? There's no way you can misunderstand each other yet. There's still segregation, right? Blacks speak English. Boston, Irish, Americans speak English, right? There's no language barrier. There's just some weird animosity for whatever reason. So, yeah, like it's a sense of feeling like you don't belong somewhere, even though you're able to communicate with them still, right? Um, but yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I understand that situation. I mean, I've been in that situation myself. Like, I remember, I remember one time, like I was attending some kind of meeting 
like with uh with like a community organization and uh it was me and some friends we were at this meeting the meeting ended and i think we were just hang hanging out we were this was in san diego we were just hanging out i forget why and then suddenly a bunch of people showed up into this building this like a uh, meeting hall and they kind of took over and they started their own meeting and it was like mongs or something and it was all everything was like in mong and it was like we were like oh shit like we're not supposed to be here let's go yeah but again but that was a, yeah that was a language thing like like uh yeah like they we felt like we didn't belong because they weren't talking to us like they were speaking mong they weren't speaking english or spanish or something like that yeah but um but yeah no i i think what i'm talking about is a little bit different unless you can think of a of an example that I'm talking about where, yeah, it, there's no language barrier. We're talking about like people, English speaking people being in a location with other English speaking people and still feeling like that. Or Spanish speaking people going to a place with other Spanish speaking people and having that feeling, right? Or some, something like that where the, the language is the same. I don't know if you get that in LA. Yeah, I don't think I could think of the any situation top of my head. Yeah. But uh I think it does depend on the neighborhood and where you're at. Um, yeah. Yeah, cuz you know, people say like certain parts of like South Central people tend to avoid just cuz of the gang activity and like yeah. the danger of it. Um mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It does depend though. Mhm. Mm yeah, I think I think you do get a little bit of it in LA, probably. Um, and there's definitely there's definitely differences in like the the in the how different ethnic groups relate to each other, like in every city. So in LA, LA is sort of the center for like the Mexican El Salvadorian rivalry, right? Uh, if you go to Chicago, they don't even they don't know what that is. Like Mexicans. You know, the Salvadorian community in, in Chicago is just a small Central American community that Mexicans don't really think about a lot. So, like, there's no that that rivalry is non-existent in Chicago. There's more of a Mexican Puerto Rican rivalry in Chicago. And then yeah. in the Bay Area, uh, the Bay Area, the the rivalry is actually between Mexicans and the Vietnamese. So <laughs> like it's so the dynamic the dynamic is like well, different it, 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 even within LA because LA is so huge you you just yeah. zoom in in Long Beach which is still kind of a big area but not as big as like yeah. you know the rest of LA the the rivalry there is it it, it is kind of different because uh the, there's Cambodians and you know the Mexicans mm. that are kind of the rival they're kind of like the biggest like racial rival gangs in terms yeah. of that so I, even like it does depend on the small pocket because South Central is just, you know, mostly black and brown folks that are living there. You're not going to see the Asians or, or the whites or, you know, yeah. people of other races. Yeah. 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 So there's there's a little bit of that in like, yeah, in like every city. But I, I just feel like in Chicago, it was explosive and i think there's also a bit more of it in many of those other cities milwaukee boston yeah like all of those cities there's yeah and i don't i don't know exactly what it is because it 
it doesn't seem like I, I, I feel like it is gang related, but it's also not completely gang related. Yeah. Yeah, I know you were talking about the prison culture earlier. Um, I have mm -hmm. a friend who does uh, kind of like prison guards, but he doesn't work out like those big prisons. It's kind of like those local jails, like Men's Central, like downtown. Yeah. And he talked about how there's like a racial segregation and solidarity between like different races. So usually like the Blacks and Asian would get together and team up and then there'll be, and then Latinos and whites would be like on another side of the team. So they would mm -hmm. team up. And it was just kind of interesting to hear that. Uh, I mean, I would imagine, uh, you know, the Latino and, and the black population, you, you know, is higher in terms of the percentage wise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Asian and whites, they tend to be lower in terms of the prison population, depending on where you are. But this is talking about LA. So, but uh, yeah, it was just kind of interesting to see that solidarity. Because when I was teaching in Long Beach, I remember because um, I had a lot of the uh, the Asian gangs. Uh, they would tell me that there were there were some black members they had within their gang too. So some of the black members yeah. were able to join the Asian gangs. And I've also seen their reverse where some of the Asians would join like the black gangs too. So they were in a way welcomed into that into the group despite the, the racial differences. Yeah, yeah. I think I think prison culture itself is also complex. Um... In uh, in Fresno, the gangs in Fresno are also racially more mixed. Like you do have, like you said, there's like Asians and black gangs and like blacks and Mexican gangs and stuff like that. I think the dynamic d differs depending on the on the city. Uh, but I, I think that's also a West Coast thing and maybe maybe even a New York thing or whatever. But I don't think in Chicago you would have that so much. Yeah um or i or i wonder i don't i don't know but i i just feel like uh yeah i just feel like that's yeah the kind of intermingling of different ethnic groups even in like gang culture and prison culture maybe that's more of a west coast thing um and then in chicago it's just it's just so like explicitly yeah i don't know like um like in the Bay Area, blacks and Mexicans get along really well, I think. Like compare I don't I don't know how it is in LA. I feel like in LA maybe it's not like that so much, but in in the Bay Area, no, they're like like they're very friendly with each other. I notice like you you meet a lot of like black Mexican couples or like people who are like black and Mexican. Like that's that's a bit more common in the Bay, I think. Uh I did meet like one person who was like that in Chicago, but it's like uh no it's it's like <laughs> it's like a rarity in this sea of like so many blacks and Mexicans who are like living across the train tracks from each other and do not talk to each other yeah it's um I don't know it's really yeah it's 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 crazy over there yeah it's just it's different it's 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 really really different. Yeah, I think it does depend on the neighborhood. I, because I remember it depends I was, on the city. Yeah, it depends on the city, and then it it depends. Yeah, it depends on the, the neighborhood. The, the pockets of the neighborhood can have one part of the neighborhood can have, have one drastic culture compared to the yeah. other one next to it too. Mm -hmm. So I yeah, because uh, one of the first students I've taught in Long Beach, um, he was uh he was Mexican American, and you know when he started going to school, he was interacting with like different races. 
And he was telling me that he would, he would never really interact with the black folks before coming to this school. So his engagement with like other races was very uh, limited in a sense. Mm -hmm. But I think after coming to the school, and it was a small school, so everyone got to know each other. We did different activities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was able to just kind of bond really well with the black students. And yeah, so it's, it's kind of interesting to, to hear that too. I think growing up, you know, I, I don't think most people, like despite be, living in a diverse area, they may not interact with people of different races until mm -hmm. like, you know, they may get older. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I think uh, I was more limited in my interaction with many other groups until college, only only because I'm from a small town. And so like growing up in like the elementary schools here in this my small town, uh, you were kind of limited to, you know, whoever was here. But, uh, you know, whoever, like regarding the people that were here, like, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't really limited in my interactions with them. I hung out. Or I would interact with uh, all the different, well, I guess whites or European Americans that were at the school, the Punjabis too, because there's a lot of them in my small town. So we would like hang out with them too. And um, uh, yeah, like, and then when I went to community college in Fresno, I basically talked to everybody. I had, yeah, I had black friends. I had European American friends. I had Asian friends. Yeah. That's when I started meeting more Asians and blacks was when I was in community college. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I would talk to them, hang out with them. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it was, uh, well, I mean, I lived in Japan the first seven years of my life. So <laughs> it was just nothing but Japanese people. But then uh, I think coming over here in LA, it was just mainly um, Asians and uh, Latinos. Uh, mm -hmm. There were a few whites and a few blacks, but they were like the minority, honestly. Yeah. And um, even the whites that I befriended, uh, now that I think about it, they were also like working class whites. They weren't necessarily like the whites that I met at the university settings. They were had a whole different like outlook and culture. Um, yeah, so I, I think the world I, I kind of grew up in was just Latinos and Asians. Um, yeah. I think I was able to differentiate, like, you know, the difference between a Salvadorian and a Mexican as I got into high school. Oh, um, really? And I, obviously, same thing with the Asians groups. You know, there's Vietnamese, Chinese. Uh, Vietnamese and Chinese were, like, the biggest um, ethnic groups where I was growing up. Uh, there were a few Cambodians, too. Uh, I didn't meet any Koreans until, like, I got to college. Hmm. Yeah, so it's it's kind of interesting to see the shift too. And then, you know, going into San Diego, I meet more you know white folks, and uh, I meet other Asians from different areas of California. And mm -hmm. I felt like there was, even though we have similar ethnic uh, culture and backgrounds, like we, I kind of felt like there were some differences in the culture of. You know, just kind of based on where we were, grew up and how we were raised. So, yeah. San Diego was when I was like finally surrounded by Asians. That's, yeah, because it was like half of the, it was like half of the whole campus or student body. Um, and then, yeah, there was, it was weird. 
that there weren't as many black students. That was, that, I remember feeling weird about that or just feeling like it was kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like less than 1% or like yeah. 1% of the population. It was like less than 1%. And then like, I wondered like, is that counting? That's probably counting like the actual like African students, like Nigerians and yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big, sh for me, it was a big shift from community college because community college was like, like everybody was there. Everybody was at community college. So, yeah. And the proportions were, I don't know, they, they, they seemed, they just, I wasn't surprised by the, by the proportions. I just kind of took them for granted or they just seemed normal to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one thing is for sure, like, I, I feel like the racial segregation in schools is still like almost everywhere in a way, whether it's West mm -hmm. Coast or the South or, you know, the Northeast or the Midwest. Um, yeah, it's kind of rare to see like a, a school that's diverse, quote unquote diverse, where, you know, it's like 30% of every race or something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. I just feel like a lot of schools in LA are very, very segregated. It's like most schools are like 90% Latino, you know, uh, I guess the schools that you could consider it diverse are like maybe like 50% like blacks and 50% Latino, but they also tend to be in areas that are like very poor or like quote unquote undesirable, you know, like the neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. My my school wasn't. I I don't remember any segregation at in my elementary school or in high school. Like people, people would kind of. I've heard of people starting to segregate themselves more going into high school, actually. But I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't really remember it at all. Like during elementary school or middle school. Yeah, everyone kind of just talked to each other. I remember my first group of friends in elementary school. It was me, uh, a white guy who was kind of my bully, actually, but we still hung out in the same group. <laughs> yes, uh, bully. Yeah, and then um, a Punjabi guy and a Greek, a Greek American kid. Yeah, you had a pretty diverse yeah. school. Yeah, yeah, like that was that was like my group of friends or something yeah like one of my first groups of friends um yeah we weren't yeah we weren't segregated much at all so yeah so for me it's it's kind of weird to to see it and then yeah like fresno city college my community college wasn't segregated much at all yeah i don't remember it at all i don't even remember it much in like UCSD, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. My, uh, my mom, my mom did think it was funny though, that, uh, like when I, when she'd see pictures of like who I was hanging out with, oh no, no, it was my dad. I think it was my dad. My dad thought it was funny that, um, uh, like all my friends were Asians. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was funny because he had he had like Asian friends in L.A. when he was growing up too. Like he had 
he was telling me how he had a Japanese friend who uh, knew like karate or something and like by then like people knew about mar Asian martial arts and they were kind of impressed by it and like so he could just like show off like some stuff that he knew and it would like be it would be kind of uh what is it intimidating yeah so he could use it to like scare some other guys you know yeah if they wanted to mess with him everybody's trying to be Bruce Lee the back then yeah yeah well, your dad grew up in Boyle Heights, so it makes sense why um, yeah. there would be Japanese because there was a, a Japanese community there mm -hmm. uh, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, he had a Japanese friend. He might have had a couple, but he, he, he tells me about one guy. Yeah. And then a bunch of, you know, Mexican friends. So. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of interesting too how like certain neighborhoods change uh, over time. Like you oh know, yeah, because Boyle Heights used to have a Jewish and Japanese, and then I think uh, over the years it's now it's like ninety nine percent Latino. Like it would be it would be kind of strange to <laughs> see like a, a Japanese person or a Jewish person walking down there. Yeah. Even though there are some uh, restaurants that still exist. Uh, I know there's like a small pocket of Japanese Americans that live there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of it's interesting to 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 see like how neighborhoods change in their composition, but then also to see like what kind of what aspects were retained from the original population in that neighborhood that I used to live in. Uh, when you visited me in Chicago, it was a uh, Albany Park. Uh, that neighborhood is now like super diverse. Uh, it's one of the most diverse zip codes in the whole U.S. Um, but it was originally, I think in the 70s, it was um, Chicago's Koreatown. And I don't know if you remember this. Maybe we didn't check it out so much. I don't remember. I don't remember what you saw of the neighborhood. But if you just go down the main street, you'll see like you still see remnants of Koreatown in the form of like the bake the korean bakeries that stuck around there's like three of them in that in that neighborhood that are still there and they're still operating um and there's one there's even one korean barbecue place but i don't know if it if it's like newer or if it's like been there for a while but yeah but the things that are there that like are retained from when it was koreatown like are the korean bakeries yeah which which implies that like there's still a there's still like a Korean community there, but um, but yeah, it's probably much smaller than it was like since the 80s. Yeah, that's that's kind of true. I wonder if the Korean barbecue in this country is better than the Korean barbecue in Korea. <laughs> that could be. I've been told the. I've been told Cuban food in Florida is better than Cuban food in Cuba. Yeah, I, I, I remember you told me about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've also heard that um I've also heard that depending like depending on the part of the country, like you can find Puerto Rican food that's better than in Puerto Rico. But like you have to go to like New York or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like countries like Japan I don't know how China and South Korea are, but 
they tend to have better American food than we do, like McDonald's <laughs> and KFC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, McDonald's is better. <laughs> it's far superior over in Asia for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're really trying to like sell the the culture over there more than they're trying to sell it here, probably. You know what's kind of funny? Um, I think there's this restaurant that opened up in the, the San Gabriel Valley recently. Uh, I forget if it was a McDonald's or some Western franchise. So they took like the McDonald's burger from Japan or, or China or Taiwan or somewhere. And then they brought it over here to sell it in the U.S. <laughs> and But they call the restaurant something else. But it's inspired by like the East Asian like McDonald's. Interesting. Huh. I'd want to check that place out then. Yeah. I wonder what the name is. Yeah, I forgot the name of it, but it's, it's kind of interesting because McDonald's started here, but then they went to another country. Then people here are wanting to try the McDonald's version of the other countries. There's this there's this uh, McDonald's in, in Chicago that's supposed to have like an international menu. Of, it's like supposed to have stuff that's that, that are ex usually exclusive to um, McDonald's in other countries. But uh, I went there once, and I, they did actually. They actually didn't have a lot of stuff. It was like stuff from like French McDonald's, German McDonald's. So it was not as interesting as I thought it'd be. Oh, I see. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like Indian McDonald's, Korean McDonald's, and stuff like that. But uh, okay, this is the, the European McDonald's. Yeah. The the Western the NATO McDonald's. Yeah. They had like a croissant witch or something, which was like, really? That's not. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've been to a McDonald's museum in San Bernardino. Oh, really? It's, uh, Is that where it started? No, you know, it's it has an interesting history. I, I believe it started in Monrovia, like Arcadia okay. area. And then I think it got somehow like it got shifted somewhere else and then they eventually ended up like in different places San Bernardino, i think is one of the other places it, it, it wasn't where it was first originated and um the museum it looks like very old and i don't think it's been updated very well at least on the outside when you okay. go inside uh it's mostly just the toys like the happy meal toys and mm. i think people donate to that museum like people from different parts of the world so they have like you know the toys or the menus from different parts of the world. And it doesn't feel like a, I don't know, what do you think of a museum? Like, you know, it's, it's not like the museums you'll see, like the, the, the Discovery Center museum type stuff. It's, oh, it's yeah, just very yeah. like, it, it could just be like a local library type of museum. It's not well kept, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of is, but it just has, it just, it just has so much stuff in there and then, you just kind of like look at the stuff behind the glass. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and they have like the history behind it. You can read like the different uh, news newspaper. Um, they have a giant statue of the purple guy. I forgot his name. Uh, Grimace. Grimace. <laughs> yeah. Grimace. All these old characters that nobody knows about anymore. The burglar. <laughs> yeah. There's that uh, the duck chick. I, I don't even know her name. <laughs> I forgot her name. Yeah. Um, I forgot her name. Wasn't there like a guy that had like hair as a, a fry fries? There's a lot. There were a couple of them. Yeah, they were like, <laughs> He's I like think they were called. I want to say they were called fry kids, but I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. yeah, I think Ronald there was, McDonald's. There was a bunch yeah. of different ones. Yeah. Ronald McDonald is probably the only one that people still know about. Yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, if you're in that area, it's good to check it out. But I don't think I would go all the out of my way to just go there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I'm just in Monrovia. Well, San Bernardino, which is like oh, an San hour Bernardino. away of yeah. Monrovia. Yeah. San Bernardino. I mean, it's close to Big Bear. So I guess you because we oh, okay. we just went there after we took a trip from Big Bear because it was kind of on the way. So yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm gonna supposed to be chatting it up with Terry later tonight. He's still in Japan. Oh, what's oh what's what's he doing in Japan? Uh, I think one of his family members might have passed away, so I think he was just okay. there for a while. I think he's gonna be coming back uh, to the Bay next week okay does he i forget does he speak japanese yeah he does okay cool yeah, he's fluent uh yeah it's kind of it's very rare for me to speak japanese to someone that's not my family yeah it's like uh i think i almost feel uh very uh not jealous but you know it's always kind of nice to see people speak their language to other people that's not english yeah yeah no i i like that too yeah it's I mean, uh, yeah it's interesting yeah. i see all the time with uh spanish you know uh, oh sure yeah because so many of my friends uh made my partner too she's her spanish is fluent so she's able to speak to people in spanish um but uh it's, it's rare to see someone that i can talk to in japanese i can do that with mandarin with some people like if like when I was at the grocery store today, because it's a, you know, an Asian grocery store. So the store clerk would speak to me in Mandarin, mm -hmm. but 50% of the time, they'll just speak to me in English. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, no, there's lots of speak. Pe there's lots of people in the U.S. to speak Mandarin with. I remember going to Chinatown in Chicago and trying to practice Mandarin. I, I. I still needed a lot more practice, but I was, there were definitely people to practice, to practice it with over there. Yeah. Japanese is tougher now though. I feel like I don't, there's not like, uh, like a lot of the older Japanese American community is, uh, I feel like, like they've, they've kind of integrated a lot where, you know, they've lost the language and then I don't really meet enough new immigrants from japan yeah it's pretty rare um, yeah like i've met some in the bay area for sure like i had a i was uh i went to a foot doctor who was japanese um but yeah other, outside of that i don't i don't i don't know where they are yeah other than the bay area yeah i know at least in la they're in gardena i when i was living there i was talking to like if i would go to like one of these japanese pharmacy i'll speak to them in japanese yeah. Um, another place that I was speaking Japanese out of all places, Boyle Heights, because they have this Japanese restaurant that's been around for years and has a lot of history. And one of the, I don't know if she's the cook, but she's she's always there. She's this. I'm assuming she's a store owner. And then we would mm. just talk to each other in Japanese. And she's an older lady too. I think um, she was just kind of telling me about the, the history and how it's been around since you know like before the internment camps and all that. So. Yeah.
Wow, it's that's crazy. Based mainly like elders that I can speak Japanese to. I've never met someone my age or younger that I'm able to speak um, yeah. Japanese to. Yeah, I wonder where that community because I I remember visiting the Japanese American Museum and asking people there like, hey, is there like a new, are there any like new Japanese immigrants? And they would tell me, yeah, there are, but I don't, but I I don't know where they are. <laughs> <laughs> Except I guess Gardena, yeah, and some parts of the Bay Area, yeah. Or probably Hawaii. I, I don't, I don't run into them at all. Yeah, I run into, I mean, I run, in, I run into Japanese students at like universities, so that that's where I meet them. But I don't meet any, I hardly meet any immigrants. Yeah, I, I think yeah. the the student experience is different from the immigrant experience. Yeah, I've met a lot of Koreans. I've met a lot of Korean immigrants. I don't know why Koreans are much easier to, like new, like Korean immigrants are much easier to meet than Japanese immigrants. I'm not sure why that is. Yeah, I think there's a more of an appeal maybe from people from Korea to come to the U.S. than from Japan to the U.S. for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. It's the rise in uh, K-pop and Korean barbecue. <laughs> they're bringing him over just for the k-pop and yeah. barbecue what's also interesting too is uh i think for me this is the first time where i have a few uh like arabic students that speak arabic uh, maybe mm. coming from egypt and um yeah i, I guess they have their own community too but i, I don't know if they are concentrated in one area i just feel like they're kind of spread out a lot of egyptians i've met like they, they kind of, yeah they, they didn't really they mostly go, egyptians but yeah they they mostly go to the midwest mm. like detroit chicago there's a lot of middle easterners in like the great lakes area yeah just the midwest yeah they mainly go over there uh you do have some pockets in like some enclaves in the in the west coast like um like san diego actually had a lot of chaldeans hmm. or like aramaic speakers um and uh i think it has it has to do with like where refugees are being resettled oh basically. that's true yeah like they kind of put the they mostly put them in the midwest but you know there's a couple of them in in like the west coast um i've met i've met um younger arabic speakers in fresno for sure uh when i was working with um a high school on this sort of language on like some language minority language courses i was kind of doing my own uh my own like independent investigations on like similar language or like what language courses or language programs were in development in other school districts within um or just in other high schools in in the fresno area um and yeah i found out that that like there's one school i'm sorry i said high school i just this was like this is an elementary school i found one elementary school that uh that actually had a pretty big like arabic Arabic speaking student population and they were from like Sudan they were from Jordan uh maybe Syria I don't I don't remember but yeah there was like a lot of them there and these were like little kids these were like little little babies like who were like eight and nine ten stuff like that 
Yeah. So I've I've definitely met them in Fresno. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, Koreatown in Los Angeles is pretty diverse too. It, oh, it, sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, I met some. I had some students from Mongolia, like Indonesia, Somalia, like Ethiopia, Congo. Mm -hmm. Like from India, yeah, it's kind of all over. I know, of course, like you know, Central America and you know, Mexico, Korea too, Philippines. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually a pretty diverse place. Even though, like the the, the you know the, the biggest population is um, Central Americans and um, uh, Mexicans, but still, there's like there's you know there's other population too. Most yeah. people assume that Koreatown is just everyone is Korean, which is a myth. <laughs> That's funny. It's like more Mexican than anything. But it is, yeah. I, I, yeah, but I've I've met I've seen a lot of Koreans there. Yeah, there are. That's yeah, funny. Yeah, I don't right. know if it's always been like that, but <laughs> so it's just kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah, I wonder. Yeah. So what's been what else has been going on with, with you in in LA, man, or in, like in your life? I mean, I'm on spring break this week. Oh, nice. So it's been just trying to relax. I think uh, other people have the breaks in two weeks, depending on the district. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not much really. It's just I think I have. Uh, meet up with a few people, a few friends I haven't seen in a while. Uh, I'm going to see them tomorrow. And yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I just feel like LA is, it's like, it's, there's so many traffic and it takes like an hour just to meet somebody. And then you yeah. drive another hour just to go home. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, it's very time consuming. Yeah, I feel like I spend more time in the car sometimes, depending on like where I'm going. Oh, wow, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that but it, it's also normalized too. And right. I used to take the bus more often before the pandemic, where I would uh, take the bus to work. And it would take me like, 10 or 15 it's like 10 or 15 minutes shorter than if i would have driven but the mm. problem is for most part in la like in order for you to take the bus or the train you have to have a car because you have to drive to the, the bus station or the train station mm. and then you take the public transportation so it's like even if you want to take public transit for the most part in la i feel like you do still need to have a car to make it a bit more convenient mm -hmm. You need a car anywhere in California, like even in the Bay, I feel like, like even the Bay kind of requires someone to have a car. Like you, you can get by without a car. It's like a little bit easier to do that in the Bay Area, but to do most things, yeah, you, you need a car for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't imagine like grocery shopping without a car. I feel like that'd be too, too yeah. much. Unless you have the grocery store right across the street from where you live. Yeah, unless it's close. Yeah, I totally. Yeah, I can't. I I I needed a car to go to the grocery store for sure. Yeah, because there was no there was no bus going through like my street, at all. So, you'd have to make 
the 20 minute trip to like a commercial neighbor, like a commercial street, right. With like lots of businesses and then like find, find the grocery store there. But it was going to be, if, if you did that, it's at least a 20 minute walk. So, and you probably don't want to do that with your groceries. Yeah. Right. It's a lot so, to carry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone does Uber Eats now though. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that'll make it. <laughs> maybe that'll make it easier to not have a car i don't know yeah you could do your groceries uh like get delivered to you too i got yeah. what the name of the app is for that one but well there's the doordash or instacart yeah or instacart yeah instacart's that one the groceries what's interesting is uh, a lot of my students use those apps like the grubhub and uber eats and yeah they're normalized now you just you know click stuff on the phone and it automatically comes to you as long as you have the money yeah what else you got going on today not much just a bunch of work uh there's a lot of there's a bunch of deadlines for job applications um in a couple of days so i'm working on that and then uh I still have the work for my part-time job. I just got another little offer for to join a project, um, writing a chapter for an ebook. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's 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 for like a course. It's for a course at Fresno State. So I'll probably take that on. Um, I kind of just want to chill. I feel like I've been I've just had a lot of stuff going on, especially with like like the like the china stuff being delayed maybe yeah. indefinitely um yeah i kind of just want a day to like have nothing to have nothing to do but, yeah but we'll see. Nice. i mean I'm, i've been relaxing anyway because I, I just i've been so stressed out that i have to do it but while i've been doing it i think i'm i'm just i'm i think i'm procrastinating on stuff so i have to I have to get on that yeah i have to finish some stuff yeah. I feel like procrastination is something that never goes away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it, it's it, it's definitely it could be healthy. Yeah, yeah. Some people like the adrenaline of feeling rushed at the last minute. Right. Yeah, and the adrenaline kind of helps. It, I've sometimes sometimes I feel like it helps more. It helps a lot because. Uh, it sort of activates your brain more. You're more focused yeah. and stuff like that. Like it, it does something where the quality of the work, I think also improves a bit if you're trying to get a project done. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Cause there's stuff that I work on and I try to do it early, but then I don't know. It's hard to focus for some reason, maybe cause my brain isn't activated so much and, I have ADD anyway, so that that might be an issue, but yeah, like I edit, I end up if I do something very early, I end up editing it or feeling like I have to edit it a lot, right? And so I just end up doing more work anyway, whereas I could have done something else. Yeah, so that's true. So yeah, I don't know. Have you been reading any books recently? Oh, I've been reading a lot of books, but um, 
I don't know. I've been going back and forth between some books. I can't even. I've been reading so many books. I can't even remember what they all are. It's mostly linguistics books. Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, actually, I got so I got a. I bought an an. I bought an uh, an ebook reader called uh, from a brand called Kobo. It's mm-hmm. like a Japanese brand. They have this uh, competitor for the Kindle. It's kind of like a Kindle, but it's from a different. It's not Amazon. It's Kobo, which is a Japanese company and. What I like about it is that you can, I don't think Kindle does this, but um, the Kobo ebook reader makes it really easy to upload PDFs. So I, then I could just find a like a ebook online in a PDF form and then just upload it super easily to the Kobo. I think you can do that with Kindle too, but I think there's a more complicated process oh, really? uh, for it. Like you have to email like the ebook to yourself or something. Which, oh, I see sounds like really stupid but yeah i've been i've been doing that like finding ebooks linguistics ebooks online and then reading them it's mostly like um alternative or not alternative yeah like um alternative perspectives on the analysis of language like stuff so stuff that it doesn't get covered so much in a in a like a mainstream linguistics um uh bachelor's or or masters or phd program at like a us university um i've been reading a lot about the functionalist school of linguistics which I, which has been interesting like it's been interesting to check out um besides that Besides that, what else am I reading? Um, I started reading like the, uh, a history of India. I read it like last year. I finished a book about the history of China, which I really liked, and so I started reading this book on the history of India. And uh, it's been okay. Like it's a different author. I don't necessarily like how he writes that much, but um, but I, it's it's like a lot. Like I've, I've learned a lot from it. Yeah, um, like a lot about like Indian culture and like, or at least the like literary legacy and administrative legacy of that part of the world. So that's kind of been cool. Um, what else did I read? Yeah, I can't even, I can't even remember all of it. Yeah, but, but yeah, like just a, a lot of stuff. Yeah. I've been reading, reading a lot of things. Yeah. Oh, uh, something I was reading uh, that is not um, that is not like academic or you know historical at all. Uh, you, you know the author Rudolfo Anaya? No. Okay. He he's this um he's like a if you're familiar with Chicano literature, he's like one of the most important figures because um, his book is like the most one of his books is the most read book of all in all of Chicano literature, which is uh, Bless Me Ultima. Oh, OK. Yeah, I heard of that book. I just didn't know the yeah. author. The author is uh, Rudolfo Anaya, who is um, he's from New Mexico. He's I think he's still alive or I don't know. I don't know if he's still alive, but um yeah, he is very famous for that book and a couple others. And uh, I guess in the 80s, 
he wrote uh he visited china for a month like he was part of this like tourist program like uh nixon had like normalized china u.s relations in like the 70s and so like a few years after that he was able to go himself to china with his wife and maybe some other people and uh he wrote like a, he had like a diary about his trip called uh a chicano in china oh is and that so, uh, is that in the part of the book or i'm sorry is that part of the book in bless me ultima no no this is a it's a separate book oh. this is a whole other book yeah it's a book called a chicano in china yeah and uh cool. it's it's sort of his like it's just sort of his like reflections on being in china like uh yeah you would like it actually i think i think you would really like it because um in the book like he just talks about his experience of being a chicano in china like the attitudes and uh biases and just like pre-notions he had of what china would be like um and like what kinds of things he would experience there and like how he and how like you know how how his sort of um what is sort of intellectual he, he also reflects on his sort of intellectual relationship with like the country too it, it's he has this very like like complex way of relating to the country already established right because just because just just because he uh he, uh just just because he like is a chicano and uh has just sort of learned about china and asia in a way that a chicano would learn about those things and in reading the book it made me remember the thing the the things i learned growing up like in my own studies about native culture and like the the sort of like myth history that chicanos developed uh for like for their own community in california um like all of these things were sort of addressed in that book cuz he he talked about them too and like how some of these things were sort of like confirmed for him actually like you know like some of the things he thought he'd see he saw the way that he would experience them like they kind of validated his own his own like uh his own like uh like background i guess and how to and how to think about like his experiences there and what china would be like and how to relate to it and stuff like that um there's stuff that he finds that are like just like mexico and you know and you know there's sort of these international patterns he sees in the country um and uh he reflects in it that way so it, it's just this very it, it's cool because it's a very like it's it's sort of a diary or a memoir but if you look at it as a diary then it's it's a very complex diary yeah so that that's something i appreciate about it um so for example like let me i'll you know i've been talking abstractly i'll give you an example so he talks about the chicano belief that uh which is true or false however you want to look at it that since chicanos are part native american and taking to account the fact that native americans like originally like according to anthropologists they crossed the land bridge from asia to to the americas and therefore there is an asian link and specifically a chinese link between 
uh, or well, there there is sort of that the there is that link there there is a yeah there's a there's a Chinese link to uh, Mexican culture or to Chicano culture right via native culture right in a in a very in a very like uh, distant but still important way we're like part Asian basically like he kind of he addresses that and like talks about it and says like yeah China going to China is going to be like a little bit of him like visiting part of his ancestor of his ancestors home right because his ancestors came from Asia maybe they came from China and so he hopes to have like a connection with China in that way as like a place of like where his and his oldest some of his oldest ancestors has had occupied right he talks about that you know he talks about how you know that was a that was a bias he had going in and you know he talks about his feelings working through his feelings of uh you know whether that's true or not and stuff like that um it, it's a it's a cool it's a really cool book in that way yeah yeah. I'm trying to look for that book online, but it seems like there's only hardcovers. The yeah, no, mine's mine's a hardcover. Yeah, but it's not that expensive. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cheap. But Chicano in China. Um, he talks about the political background too. Like he mentions Nixon, how Nixon, how Nixon like recently like normalized relations and. Uh, he he talks about like communism. He he visits Mao's tomb, Mao Zedong's tomb, and he talks about what he sees there and like just his really brief reflections on visiting Mao's tomb. Yeah, that's um, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So and he and it, everything is from like because it is Chicano literature and he's kind of playing out the like he's trying he's like kind of trying to be Chicano. Yeah. In his like in his writing. Which is something I usually don't like in writing. Like I don't really like when people play up being Mexican or Hispanic or stuff like that. But um, I do like I do kind of like it in that book because he's he's trying to understand. He he's trying to understand like like he's he's exploring. Uh, he he's doing that, but he's also exploring like. Chicano identity or his identity while re like trying to interpret like this whole other country, right? Like the history and uh, like, and like life in this whole other country at the same time. So he's, he's like working through his feelings and, you know, kind of playing up being Chicano and trying to understand what it means to be a Chicano, like in this whole place, like whether it's meaningless, whether it's like, whether there's some meaning there because the Chicano myth history says that like China's where the ancestors are from and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, he's just, he's just kind of exploring all these like different things and different aspects of, uh, of the country and just his experience there. It's, it, it's neat. I, I liked it. I bought it in preparation for my trip because I thought I was going to be in China and I just thought like, huh, let me, see what this guy said about being in China first and you know he, he jokes about being the first Chicano in China <laughs> yeah he does joke about it and then he and then he contradicts himself and says like well there were some Chicanos who were like in the army that were there first but you know and but it's it's not like a history it's just his own yeah it's just it's just him like 
speaking from like uh, I don't know his instincts or his feelings basically yeah it's just a diary so okay that's pretty yeah, or cool. a memoir yeah 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 I don't know I don't I don't have the vocabulary to really talk about the contents of that book because it it's not history it's really yeah. like I think yeah that's pretty cool though but yeah yeah I think the cheapest I find is like sixty one dollars really yeah it seems like a rare book <laughs> I guess so it yeah it's not as easy to find yeah but I I, I want to say I found it for 20 bucks hmm. it's definitely worth it for like 20 if you can find it for 20 <laughs> bucks it's worth it I'm sure I could probably find it at a library yeah you could maybe you could probably find it there <clears throat> um yeah, what I was gonna do is uh, I was I was gonna suggest like maybe we could for the next time's recording, like we could do some reading and then like talk about it, like. Oh yeah, yeah. And then I feel yeah. like this might be a good book if I can find access to get it, you know. Yeah, no, I'd I'd love to talk about the book, because um, I've been enjoying it. I kind of I kind of wish I'd, I yeah I kind of wish I had someone to like talk about it with and. Uh, yeah, I, I I even thought about like making a blog and like writing about my reaction to like each yeah. chapter. But yeah. uh, but no, that'd be cool. That'd be awesome to like if you can find it. Like we could talk about each chapter, and I'll 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 even reread like chapters I already read because it's not even that long. Like it's not a big book. You could probably finish book. it in. Yeah, you could probably finish it in a few days. Oh, okay. Like like just reading a couple hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, I'd love to do that. I've just uh, got to figure out, find a website on uh, Internet Archive, but I have to log in and, um, I guess, borrow the book. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting how you have to do all these things now, but. Yeah. Yeah, I'll let you know if I get access to it. And then maybe we could do like one chapter at a time where we uh, yeah, just yeah. go over it. So, because I, sometimes so I feel like. Sometimes I feel like when I do the reading groups, if I do like the whole book, sometimes I miss like key elements and details because I feel like yeah. I feel rushed to read it. So some chapters are longer than others. So, but we can, yeah, we could figure that out too. Like maybe some some days we could do two chapters because like one of them is really short and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, we could we could just figure that out as we go on. What's your schedule look like for the next this week and next week? Uh, it's gonna. My schedule is really flexible still, because um, my the part time job I have it it doesn't put me on a schedule, so like I can, what you call it? Yeah, like I they I I basically work whatever hours I want. I just have to work twenty hours. Make sure I work twenty hours a week. So That's yeah, my it. schedule is it's, I have work, but you know it's really flexible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me see. Maybe I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll send you texts and see if I can get access to the book and then maybe we could just go over the introduction or something. Oh yeah. No, that'd be, that'd be good. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me, I got to return all these books that I borrowed before the pandemic. It's like just sitting <laughs> on my, my house and I feel oh, like it's wow. so bad because the, there's no like fee for me to penalty, you know, penalty fee anymore. So I don't yeah. feel inclined to do it, but I should just do it this week since I have the time. Okay. Okay, I think I was able to borrow the book. That was really quick. I could borrow for okay. 14 days, but I think I can always like reborrow again. I can always use a different account. <laughs> so 
Okay, yeah. No, cool, cool. It's from the Boston Public Library. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. Wait, so the first chapter is just the intro, right? Yeah, yeah I think. Okay. I'd have to look. Well, I'd have to look at it again because it's it's been a it's been a couple months, but but yeah. Oh, it's you're right. It's like a, it reads like a diary. I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or a memoir. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it hits. It's his own interpretation of his experiences in in China and like relating. Especially, there's a lot of him like trying to relate things to his own background because yeah. you know, like uh, like seeing in China, like like maybe a farming technique. See, like, like relating that to like farming he saw in New Mexico and stuff like that. So, okay. cool. you know.